Hi, everybody. You're listening to the SEA Podcast, a show brought to you by members of the Specialty Coffee Association, featuring talks and lectures from SEA events around the globe. My name is Vicente Partida. This week's episode was recorded at the Roaster Guild of Europe's Roaster Camp, which took place in October of last year in Poland. Since then, the Roaster Guild of Europe and the Roasters Guild have come together to form the unified Coffee Roasters Guild. Roasters Retreat is coming to the city of Stevenson in the state of Washington this August 23rd through the 26th, and CRG Camp is headed to Evora, Portugal this October 10th through the 13th. Registration for Retreat is now open, and registration for Camp is opening soon. To learn more, visit crg.coffee. Again, that's crg.coffee. On the podcast today is Samo Schmerke, a research scientist at the Coffee Excellence Center of the Zurich University of Applied Sciences. In this talk, Samo covers the effects of carbon dioxide degassing on coffee freshness and espresso extraction. Research by Samo and his colleagues at the Coffee Excellence Center can be found in the SEA's newly published Coffee Freshness Handbook, a publication that contributes to the body of scientific evidence on freshness in roasted coffee and serves as a practical resource for specialty coffee professionals. Take a look at the notes for this episode to find a link to the Coffee Freshness Handbook on the SCA store and a link to the video recording of Samo's talk. There are quite a few very interesting graphics shown in this presentation, so definitely take a look at the video. Okay, let's listen to Samo's talk. Sonia Grant, Vice Chair of the Coffee Roasters Guild, introduces him. <laughs> right, okay, so Samo's ready. Uh, this is him. Yeah. This handsome. <laughs> Hi, I'm Samo. <laughs> so, um, uh, you wanna introduce yourself because I have like a list of things. I think uh, it's better if you tell him because I've I been can, speaking. I can introduce. Yeah. Yes, please, please. Yeah, so, I'm a, I'm a scientist. So, uh, it's gonna be a bit different presentation from maybe what you're used to. So, if you can't follow, maybe stop me and ask for questions. Uh, I work at the Zurich University of Applied Research. Uh, I'm a chemist, but mostly I work on coffee science. So one of the topics that I work recently is about coffee degassing. Uh, this research has been done together with SCA research as well. So um, we actually don't have so much time, so let's go quickly through this. I'm gonna talk about coffee degassing. Uh, so explain you what this is, uh, where does this phenomenon come from, um, how can we measure it, and what is the impact on our coffee and our uh, brew. So first, what is the role of CO2 in coffee? Where does it come from? So you know we have green beans, we roast them, and the roasting exhaust already contains a lot of CO2. It also contains a lot of water and uh, VOCs, you know, this nice fresh roasted coffee aroma that goes out through the exhaust. And then in the roasted bean, um, quite quite a significant amount of these gases remain trapped after roasting. So after roasting, this gas is trapped in and it's slowly released from the bean. Uh, if we grind the bean, we speed up this release very much, so about 10 times. So because this uh, gas is released pretty fast in the uh, ground beans, the ground coffee, so it has an impact on like capsules, 
but also the roasted beans, if we store them for a long time, because of the slow but quite significant degassing, it has an impact on our packaging. And in the end, it also impacts our extraction. So we have the whole, whole chain from going from green bean to our cup of coffee. This CO2 is always somewhere behind messing up something or helping us doing something, uh, but probably it's like an under, underrated molecule in the coffee because everybody's talking about aroma, the acids, the polyphenols, you know, the antioxidants, melanoidins, but rarely somebody's talking about the CO2 in coffee. So we, we did research on this to kind of, um, to really go on a basic scientific level first and then try to apply this research on some practical examples. Uh, so first I'm going to talk about where does the CO2 come from. So it was already uh, today in the morning, those who have been at the first lecture here, uh, there was some talk about this. So CO2 comes from two main sources of the reactions that occur during coffee roasting. That's uh, striker degradation, it's a type, type of a Maillard reaction where CO2 is formed. This is uh, mostly happening during the first crack at this stage of the coffee roasting. And pyrolysis, that's, um, this reaction happens at the later stage during the second crack, if we roast that long. So we have first stacker degradation at the early stage, and then pyrolysis, it's at the later stage of roastings. So this one produces quite some CO2, and the pyrolysis produces really a lot of CO2. So the bean doesn't undergo only the chemical transformations when it's roasted, but also its physical structure changes a lot. So one of the ways how we can uh, see the bean structure on the inside really is with uh, micro X-ray computer tomography. This is kind of the same device as it's used for medical purposes. Just the size scale is smaller and the resolution is much better. So we can see the inside of the bean and it looks something like that. So this here is a reconstructed 3D model of a coffee bean which was carved in half in the software. So you can see the inside bean has a very porous structure with a lot of pores. We can see the silver skin here. Here there's a crack, which is the, the, the happened during the first crack, uh, during roasting. And on the bottom there are slices. So the images of the slices, of, so, so the, this thin first slice here. So we have on the left green coffee. We have a very light roast, so be immediately after the first crack, a medium roast and a dark roast. So what you can see here is that the green coffee has a very dense structure. There's no pores. It's like filled with, with the, the, the nutrients in the green bean, the cellulose. And at the first crack, the, the structure of the coffee gets really porous. These, these, uh, these pores are basically um, plant cells which are inflated uh, because of the forces that, uh, that are inside the bean during the first crack. And then not much happens on this, on this level from light roast to dark roast. But of course we have all this connective material, all these uh, cell walls which remain, which are the, are the structure of the uh, roasted coffee bean. Probably we can, we can imagine that the structure of those changes from light to dark rows, but on this scale we don't see it. This is on, on a molecular level, maybe it changes. Probably it does, because we see some effects. 
So if we can look a bit deeper into this um, poor structure, uh, this is an um, um, electron microscope image, so it has a better resolution than even the X-ray or with the microscope imaging. Uh, we see one of those, so what used to be a cell, biological cell, now it's an empty cavity, and we see cell wall, which is a connecting material. And I would like to talk here about where the CO2, which was, which was formed during roasting, is trapped in. So there's two possibilities, two basic possibilities, how it's trapped. So first, we think we can say, okay, it's trapped as, as gas in these pores. So these pores, they have their some empty volume, which are filled with gas, and we can say, okay, CO2 is trapped in here, but there's also other ways of trapping gas in the material. So it's more uh, physical chemical sorption on the surface, can be sorbed on the surface, or it can be uh, absorbed in this cell wall material, because we cannot look this material more in detail, but there have been studies done, and it's shown that this, um, this material also has very tiny pores, and these pores are able to store a lot of gas in. So we have macropores, which are the big pores, and then there's the small pores that are in here. And we can have the CO2 trap there, and there, because of different mechanisms of trapping, there's also two different mechanisms of release. So release from this macropores would be uh, what we can imagine uh, easier would be, it's called hydrodynamic flow. It's basically it's gas is there under pressure and because of the pressure, it's slowly released through some cracks uh, out from the bean, to, uh, in front, from the inside of the bean outside, right? <clears throat> The other, so sorbed CO2, so either sorbed on the surface or inside this material, that's a bit, a bit different. It doesn't work as, um, as, as we are used to in this, our uh, macro, macro world. It, more, it works differently on a molecular level. It, uh, the CO2 diffuses through the material. So because the molecules, they move very fast around, there's always a likelihood that it will find a hole somewhere going out to the uh, outside. And um, this is called diffusion, and it's not a it, hydrodynamic flow. It's a physical process, and diffusion is a more a physical chemical process. So what does this mean? This means that if we have outside pressure of air, which has very little CO2, the hydrodynamic flow, uh, the outside pressure of uh, air will be able to block this flow because it's a it's like a physical barrier. If we go, if we speak about diffusion, the molecules don't feel the, 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 the pressure like on a macroscopic level. They live in their molecular level and they don't care if there's a high pressure outside. The CO2 will go from the high concentration of CO2 towards the low concentration of CO2, regardless what is outside. So if you have a high pressure outside but no CO2 outside, the CO2 will still go from inside of the bean to, towards the outside. So this is, this is uh, the, the, the driving force of the diffusion. It's a difference in concentration of a certain molecule. So <clears throat> I mentioned that the degassing is slow from a whole bean, but very fast from, a, from ground coffee. So why is this? First, if we look at the 
hydrodynamic flows of this CO2 trapped as gas inside of the bean. That's um, easy to explain. So we have our bean structure. You saw it. It's like it looks like a brain or a sponge. If we grind coffee, we destroy these this pores. Most of them we damage. Some maybe stay intact. Some get cracked. And this CO2, which is there, just goes out very easily and very fast. On the other hand, the diffusion, um, it's a bit different. It, after grinding, it, we speed it up, but not because of the um, uh, of the fact that we destroyed the pores, but because we increased the specific surface area of the of the material. So, uh, what does it mean? This means that, if I said the molecule is wandering around inside the beam because it's small and fast, and then if the, the surface area is larger, then it's, it just becomes more likely that it will sometimes just go away. So we, we speed up the process by having a larger surface area. So the process of diffusion is just faster. <clears throat> so keep in mind these two mechanisms, they're very different in nature. and. Um, at right now, I would say we don't, let's say we don't know which mechanism is uh, dominant in the degassing, but later when we we'll see results, it will be quite clear uh, what is happening. Um, just a, a few words on how we can measure this process. So we have, uh, basically we have a solid material that emits gas. <clears throat> so during time, the, of, during storage with time, it slowly emits gas. So the, uh, as there's two methods that are practical, which um, are reliable and robust that produce uh, reproducible results. So one is uh, me to measure the pressure increase during degassing. So we have such uh, glass containers. On these glass containers, there are temperature sensors and very precise pressure sensors. We put here a sample of coffee. And for example, here we have a two liter glass vessel. We put in 200 grams of ground coffee. After degassing, we build up approximately 100 to 150 millibars of overpressure. And if we assume that the CO2 is uh, approximated by the, the gas equation, so a bit of basic high school physics, we can uh, calculate from the pressure volume we know we can calculate, so we know that this is a, a gas constant. We measure the temperature, so we can measure the amount of CO2. So from the pressure increase, we can then go back to the amount of CO2 that was released from the coffee. Another method which uh, we developed in our laboratory is a gravimetric method. So what is gravimetry? Gravimetry is an analytical way of measuring an chemical analyte by weighing the samples. So any kind of uh, measuring uh, chemical chemicals by weighing is called gravimetry. And basically what we do, we measure very precisely the weight of a coffee sample. So we put it in a VSD basket in the sampling container in, in our special modified uh, high precision uh, balance. And this balance is very stable with time. And because it's so stable and so precise, we can measure the loss of weight of the coffee sample because it's losing gas. So the precision of this balance is about, um, about 0.001%. So it's a, 
<clears throat> in, 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 it has to measure in a, in a period of a few months, it has to measure the sample with precision of 0.1 milligram. So it has to be highly precise, but the good thing is uh, the coffee has quite a lot of gas absorbed inside after roasting, so the loss of mass is quite significant. So how do how does how do degassing data look like? Just to 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 imagine how how such measurements look like. So here we had freshly roasted and immediately after roasting ground coffee, ground to an espresso grind size. It was an Arabica coffee. We measured the degassing. Uh, so we roasted coffees to various roasting degrees, from very light, so would be like immediately after the first crack, or still during first crack, to very dark roasted degrees, so probably those that you wouldn't want to drink, but we still were interested what is happening if you roast very dark. Um, here you see it's the gassing time in hours, so it's about one, one week here, a bit less. And we're talking about specific mass loss because we measured with this gravimetric method. And I'm saying here milligrams per gram. So what does this mean? This means that a specific per gram of coffee, this coffee lost around two to three milligrams of mass. So this would be 0.2 to 0.3% of its mass. We see here an initial very fast degassing Immediately after uh, grinding, so a matter of a few hours, we lost more than half to three quarters of the gas, and then a, a subsequently a slow, slow release. And if we take a look at different uh, grind sizes, or different uh, roast degrees, sorry, uh, we see that if we go from a light roast towards a medium roast, uh, we increase the amount of gas released, but if we go from a from a, a medium roast towards a very dark roast, we don't see any more increase. So how, how can we explain this? So our idea is that probably during roasting, uh, towards a medium roast degree, a certain number of, a certain amount of uh, CO2 is formed, and if we roast darker, we form more, but we also lose more during roasting because the coffee structure gets more and more porous, it expands more and more, and so we're losing more already during roasting. So more we, um, more we uh, produce during roasting, but still more we lose, so we don't get much uh, increase overall in the ground coffee. We also measured, uh, of course, the whole beans. This was a much slower process. Um, here it was measured up to uh, 20 days, and it still wasn't finished after 20 days of degassing. And we uh, roasted in three, um, three roast levels. So we had a dark roast, which would be like a, a regular espresso roast, a medium roast, which would be more like a specialty espresso roast, and a light roast, which would be a filter roast. And we roast in three speeds, from a fast to a slow. So fast would be around uh, six minutes, medium would be nine minutes, and slow would be around 12 minutes. So what we can see here is that for the dark roast, uh, we have quite an impact on the roasting speed. So roasting fast produces uh, much more trapped CO2 in whole beans. Roasting slow produces less CO2 trapped in whole beans. So this 
indicates that during when we roast slow, we produce more porous beans, and if we roast fast, we produce more more dense structure of the beans, which which is uh, capable to to trap more of the CO2 in still after the roasting. Also here, oh, it's not very well seen, but we're talking about 10 milligrams per gram of CO2 lost during uh, degassing. So this means that about 1% of the coffee beans uh, mass was as gas. So this is quite significant. So we're, if we have a kilo of beans, we leave them standing for one month, then suddenly we have 990 grams of beans left. The 10 grams difference was lost as uh, CO2 out from the beans. We saw similar effect for medium roasted coffee, uh, but there was not really an impact on the roasting speed on the light roasted coffee. And you can also clearly see here that the roast degree has some, a much higher impact on the amount of CO2 released and the roasting speed. But nevertheless, we still should consider roasting speed as an important uh, factor of how much uh, CO2 is released from, from uh, beans after, after roasting. So let's, let's now try to compare uh, the whole beans and the ground uh, coffee in terms of uh, degassing. <clears throat> so I presented the, the data here now in a, in a different way. So before I was speaking about the, the mass, uh, mass loss from the beans, so how much CO2 went out. Now I'm presenting how much CO2 uh, remains uh, still in the coffee. So if we go to, to a long time, this one would go eventually to zero. So that's the amount we have at the start in the beans in the whole means, so it's about 10 uh, milligrams per gram or 1% of the mass. Uh, we can assume that from when we stopped roasting to that I started the first measurement in one hour, we already lost some, so it, because uh, the degassing is the fastest immediately after roasting. And, um, Okay, then compare, let's first compare um, the whole beans to the ground and then break down where the losses are. So if we look at the ground beans, we see that the, the amount is much smaller. Before I said two to three milligrams per gram. So we have this degassing, which is much faster at the start, and then it slows down and it goes to zero at around uh, 150 hours. That's about five days in this case. So we have, we have around two to three milligrams going out from the ground and 10 from the, from the hole. So where's the difference now? The difference is during grinding. So during grinding, in this case, for this coffee, specific coffee, of course, for, for different grind size, different roast, uh, roast levels, we might get different results. But for this specific coffee, we lost three, three quarters of the trapped CO2 immediately during grinding. You remember before I uh, mentioned it that you should keep in mind these two mechanisms, you know, the very fast hydrodynamic release and the slow diffusion. So what, now if we have this data, we can now kind of explain what is happening. So we have CO2 trapped in these big pores, which we destroy when we grind. And then it's a very fast process of pressure release. And we lose a lot of CO2 during, immediately during grinding. 
and some of it is trapped inside this wall structure still after we uh, ground the coffee, and this is then slowly released out through diffusion. What is also interesting then to, to, to do a more practical experiment, so before previous slide it was whole beans immediately after roasting and ground be, uh, coffee immediately after roasting. But what happens now if we measure the whole beans and then we take the same, same, uh, same coffee beans and measure them as ground beans, but we measure them fresh, we measure them after one week, we measure them after two weeks, after four weeks, and after six weeks. We also measured in two roast degrees, the dark roast and a light roast. So we saw here that, of course, this uh, typical drop in, uh, in the loss during grinding. And then we have, so okay, whole beans. We go to zero here in about 40 days, so one, one and a half month, a bit less. And when we have each, each of the ground. So what we see here is very interesting is that this loss loss during grinding is very high when we have fresh coffee, but then it's less and less, and here we come to a very, very interesting phenomenon. So what is happening here, uh, I hope you see because it's quite low. So the, the whole beans were nearly degassed completely after four weeks, but then we ground the coffee and we still got quite a lot of CO2 coming out from the ground coffee. So what does this mean? This means that in the whole bean, there are pockets where the CO2 is trapped uh, quite strongly and doesn't get released from whole beans, and these pockets are open for, for CO2 to be released only after we grind it. And that's actually very good for us because it helps us to, to have coffee that is one month old, which is that's not perfectly fresh, but if we will consider degassing from whole beans, it's practically stopped, but, from the ro but when we grind them, we can still access some CO2 uh, so that we still have some, some freshness. Of course, we, we all know CO2 is important for crema formation, so we, we want our crema, so that's important that we still keep some in. Uh, what is interesting that if we take a look at dark roast and light roast, uh, here we have approximately half values for everything. So if here was a start at 14 for this particular coffee. Was not a, it was not a dense coffee. It was a very, very low density uh, Guatemalan coffee. So it had 1.5% 1, 1 of gas trapped in, uh, in its mass after roasting for the dark roast. And if we compare dark and light, we kind of see that everything is approximately halved. And also you see that after four weeks, it was for, for both, it was the, the turning point where from ground we had a higher release than from the whole beans. Um, how, do, how can then we compare a different, <coughs> how do different whole beans compare in degassing? So before we had a Colombian coffee, which was about 10, but actually if we degassed much longer, we saw that it goes up to 12 uh, milligrams per gram in degassing. And I mentioned this uh, Guatemalan, which was very low density and became very porous during roasting. It degassed really fast, and it went up to 14 uh, milligrams per gram degassing. We also measured one, one other coffee, which was 
comparable to this one. I actually have data for, these are all washed coffees. I have also data for one natural, but it somehow slipped away. It's not on this plot, and it was similar, similar to those. So there was not really a big difference in washed and natural. Uh, processed, but see, there seems to be a difference in in how um, how dense the beans are. So very dense beans, they will um, also then form a more dense roasted bean structure, which will degas slower or, and maybe less. And low density beans, they will degas really fast. So we already started now discussing a bit about um, how CO2 impacts our um, our coffee, so what is the impact of CO2? Uh, already at the start I mentioned one of the obvious impacts is packaging, right? <clears throat> Theoretically, the um, internal, so effective internal pressure in the bean it can be calculated to 10 bars, but keep in mind this is uh, an effective value because it's chemically sorbed in the surface, so we cannot go with a pressure meter inside and measure 10 bars in the bean. This is if we calculate the volume of the bean and the total CO2 that is sorbed inside. Uh, but still, when it's degassing, it can produce significant um, significant pressure in packaging. And I don't know if any of you already did an experiment where you packed coffee in a um, coffee bag without a valve. And believe me, sooner or later, it will explode. <laughs> so we all know we have to keep the valves there to let the CO2 uh, be released out during storage. What is also nice of uh, that our CO2 is released during storage is um, if, we, if we pack our coffee in the bags under normal atmosphere, we have 20% of oxygen in. So because 20% of oxygen is, is in the atmosphere, right? So if we have in the back CO2 coming out from the coffee, the, this uh, CO2 is pushing out also the oxygen when the coffee, is, uh, the coffee bag starts to inflate and opens the valve that is releasing the gas out. So the CO2 will also uh, push oxygen out. And uh, during storage, the coffee in back, uh, so the, um, the CO2 in the back will produce a partially protective atmosphere. So it will reduce the oxygen level. Uh, depending on how much we pack the, the bag, it can reduce the oxygen to 10 or even 5% only. So that's a kind of a natural way of making, the, I would say, it's a, I call it a partially protective atmosphere in our bag. So it's not really like uh, packing the, the, the coffee bags under nitrogen, but it still, it still helps a great deal to prevent oxidation of our coffee during, uh, during storage. Of course, that's, that's another point, right? Speaking about oxidation, uh, CO2 is one of the causes of the migration of the oil from the inside of the, of the, of the bean structure outside because it's pushing out the oil. And once the oil of the coffee oil is on the surface, it comes to contact with oxygen and it's highly prone to oxidation. So once this happens, you don't want to drink this coffee anymore. And for example, with the previous uh, mentioned uh, Guatemalan coffee, which was very porous, produced a lot of CO2, it also got um, the oil migrated very fast on the surface of, of this coffee and was uh, stale very fast because of that. Um, so since we're talking about packaging, I attempted to 
to do a bit of, um, this is theoretical, these are not measurements. So to just to see, with, with if, since we now know how much CO2 is potentially released from the coffee, we can then try to estimate what pressure can be built up in packaging. So a red line is the most extreme example. If we have a rigid container that does not change its shape and we completely fill it with coffee, we can get potentially two, three, four, five bars of, of pressure inside with time. Of course, there's a red area here because if we start to increase the pressure, I mentioned before, because of diffusion, the chemical, proce uh, chemical physical processes, the CO2 will at some point stop diffusing from the coffee and it then will just stay like, okay, outside there's so much CO2, the, the CO2 will be, feel like, okay, I don't want to go outside from the coffee bean anymore and it will stay inside the bean. So where this is, um, right now I can't, can't tell how, how far we can go, but that's also part of the measurements we maybe do in the future. So if we have a bag with no valve, we see that we can also get a quite a bit, quite a bit of increase um, in pressure and two to three bars, that's for sure, as I mentioned before, more than enough that the bag would not last, uh, withstand and would explode. Um, one, one question here, if somebody knows why there's a bit of, a bit of lag from going from here to here. So there's, for the first day, there is no pressure increase in the back. Any idea? So the, once we, we pack the coffee in the back, if we really don't fill it up completely, so for example, if we have a 250 gram bag and we put in 250 grams of coffee inside, the bag is not completely full, you know? It's not like we're blowing it up completely. And the bag will first unfold and will uh, we'll, um, expand, not really expand like the material, but will unfold, and because it will unfold, there will be a bigger volume in the back. So we don't see really an increase in pressure for the first day in the back, but then once there is a certain, certain um, it takes a certain shape, so when it cannot unfold anymore, then we will start to get to see the increase in pressure. Luckily, if we have a valve, the valve will then uh, open up after a bit of uh, overpressure in the back and then it will release the CO2 out. So another, th another thing that we should keep in mind is uh, safety here. <clears throat> so s the amount of CO2 that is um, released from, from the, the coffee during degassing, it's it's not really problematic if we're not dealing with, you know, with tons. Uh, but there's, a, there's an unfortunate thing because the coffee um, roasting, it's, it's, um, it, comes, uh, it um, produces the, the pyrolysis reaction during coffee roasting. The pyrolysis produces uh, carbon monoxide because of the so a partial oxidation of organic matter in coffee. And carbon monoxide, as you know, it's highly toxic. So there's one report that there's about 7% of uh, carbon monoxide in the gas released from, from coffee during uh, the gas, uh, during grinding. So the gases that are released during grinding. And this is a bit critical, maybe. So the, it is very toxic, so the limits are 30 ppm for long-term exposure and short-term exposure, 200 ppm of carbon monoxide. 
what does this mean? How much is this? 30 ppm, 200 ppm to, to have like an, an example. <clears throat> if we say that uh, eight grams per kilogram of gas is released during grinding, if we grind a freshly roasted uh, coffee, uh, that would be about half a liter of carbon monoxide per kilogram of coffee. That's quite a lot, but luckily the volumes, when we speak about the volume of this room, it's, uh, it's still very little compared to the, uh, the volume of the room. So if we take a, a regular, uh, like a, a larger residential room, we can say that it has a volume of around 100 uh, cubic meters. So grinding one kilogram of coffee would increase the CO concentration in this room to about five ppm, which is perfectly fine. That's nothing dangerous yet. Um, of course, this, here we assume that we have a completely, completely sealed room with no, no ventilation any, or, or, or uh, any open window or open doors. But of course, uh, none of our, our living environments are completely airtight, so there's always some, some um, recirculation with the outside. So a typical air exchange rate in residential buildings is around uh, one volume per hour. And so this means that if, if we would grind one kilogram of coffee each hour in such a, such a room, we would get to about 2.5 ppm. So this is, so like this is for uh, like smaller amounts, but of course if we start talking about uh, industrial amounts of industrial production or, or very small, um, very small uh, coffee shop, which is not well ventilated, which uh, grinds a lot of coffee, we can, we can certainly reach this uh, 30 ppm limits. And of, uh, but the solution is quite simple. We just need a well, vent well ventilated uh, uh, room where we do such things. So where we grind coffee or where coffee is stored or of course, with roasting, uh, it's also the Icaba roaster where it's going just out. We have to have uh, ventilation. Um, I know a story from a, a, a big uh, company where they had a silo uh, where they were um, uh, so curing coffee, so basically degassing before it was packaged. So it was as, as I don't know if it was as whole beans or ground, but basically there was a silo which, which was open, and um, so this this guy was a, a scientist there. He told me that one of the managers went there, and he just did this over the silo, and he fainted immediately after one one uh, one breath of this uh, this atmosphere above the silo. So luckily he he didn't fall in the silo because he would die. He fell behind, but he was unconscious after one one breath. So that's because there was first a lot of CO2, so there was no oxygen. But even more critical is the CO, which is toxic and basically. Uh, its effect is such that our blood, after it comes with contact with CO2, cannot uh, take up oxygen anymore. So it's, it's, uh, it can be dangerous, when, of course, when we deal very, very large quantities. So talking about degassing, of course, everybody is also thinking about freshness, because coffee that is completely degassed, it's flat. And the fresh coffee, it always has a lot of gas in, so when we brew it, we see uh, a lot of uh, gas released, right? Um, we can, 
maybe maybe that's not so that's a bit too technical, but we can measure um, degassing, and we can say we can evaluate how fast it's released from from the coffee. From the coffee, we can measure also aroma. So those are three very volatile aroma compounds which are released very fast from the coffee, and we can we can evaluate how fast this goes, like a specific time uh, constant for for a specific uh, uh, chemical, and we see that um, CO2 is way lower than than the aroma compounds, so. Um, Methanol, that's the, by far the most volatile. It's comparable to CO2, but all other aroma are, are way low, way, way less uh, volatile than CO2. So it takes them much longer before they are released. So this is this is kind of good for us because this means that we get rid of this excess CO2, which is not very good uh, for us because we cannot make, for example, espresso with a very fresh roasted coffee, but the aroma is kind of, we're losing it slower. So we have to wait for the right time where we lost enough CO2 to make our good coffee brew, but luckily the aroma is lost slower, so we still keep the, the very good aroma in. But what if we want to keep the coffee fresh even longer? What do we do then? So the obvious thing with chemical reactions is we have to cool down our materials. So cooling the Anything which has some chemical reaction involved, it will always, ne nearly always slow down the, the reaction. Now we did first the experiment how freezing the coffee bean, <coughs> if it impacts the degassing or not. So we uh, measured the degassing of freshly roasted and freshly ground coffee, this curve here. Then we froze the same coffee beans for one week. After one week, we took them out, we ground them, we got exactly the same result. And then we left these beans also two weeks in, we took them out after two weeks, ground them, and was again uh, the result. So this shows that if we um, freeze coffee, we don't impact uh, the structure of the bean. It stays the same because after we, after we um, take it out, we grind it, it's, we still get the same degassing profile. So that's why I said freezing. It's not really freezing, it's more cooling. Because the coffee bean doesn't contain enough water to really uh, produce any crystal, crystal structure. Uh, if we put it in the freezer, we basically just cool down the coffee to a low temperature. Of course, we wanted to uh, expand this experiment to <coughs> to whole beans to see how, at which time we will start to see any impact on, uh, on our um, degassing. So we had, uh, this is a familiar curve for 60 days degassing for the Colombian coffee that was already presented before. Uh, this is freshly roasted and then, so we measured it for 60 days and then the other one was stored in the freezer at minus 25 degrees Celsius for 70 days and then it was taken out and also we measured degassing from these beans after being stored 70 days in the freezer. So we see as, as quite, quite some uh, drop in the amount of CO2 that's released but still there is a lot of CO2 in. And what we can nicely do here is that if we move this curve up here, we see that it matches exactly the other curve. So what, do, what did we do? We stored it for 70 days, but effectively, it's like it was stored two days 
at the same conditions as the whole beans that were degassed fresh after roasting, which were at a bit higher temperature, 35 degrees. So what we can say is that two days at 35 degrees Celsius was equivalent to 70 days at minus 25 uh, degrees Celsius. So that's a 70 degrees Celsius difference, or, and we decreased the degassing rate by 35 times. So there's a nice, um, nice equation for chemical reactions called the Arrhenius equation, with which we can recalculate how much our rate of degassing increases every 10 degrees Celsius of the temperature uh, difference. And for this case, we get 1.8 times of increase. So we then, then can say, okay, how much is then if we compare coffee stored at room temperature to coffee stored at, uh, in, the fr in a domestic freezer, which is minus 18, so ours was a bit, a bit lower. And we can calculate this by the Arrhenius equation, and we say 12.5 times. We decrease the rate of degassing when we have the coffee stored in the freezer. So what does this mean practically? So practically this means that if we say our coffee is good when it's old, uh, when it's uh, from the roasting for uh, one to four weeks, let's say that's uh, the optimum uh, period, if we store the same coffee in the freezer immediately after roasting, we can extend this one to four weeks period to three months to up to a year. So a coffee that was stored in the freezer one year will have same uh, amount of CO2 in as a coffee that was stored for four weeks at room temperature. Question? Yes. yes. Um, have you looked at what happened when you take that coffee out of the freezer and actually grind it compared uh, to the fresh one? Uh, no, not, not this one. We did the one which was one week and two weeks, and we didn't see any difference, but with this one we didn't, uh, didn't test it. Could it not be that uh, even if it's in a freezer, when you take it out and actually grind it, you will lose everything anyway? No. No, this won't happen because freezing won't impact the structure of the bean. So you will start the experiment now, right? In one year, you will tell us the yes. Yeah, we will. Yeah. <laughs> it's already ongoing. We have just have to wait one more year. <laughs> we have another question. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. When you stored the, the beans in the freezer, what, how were they stored there and packaged? And was it just as per, uh, were, were they in the bag and was it sealed and, and so on? Yeah, they, they were stored in a regular uh, bag with the, with the valve. So the aluminum laminated plastic bag with a one-way valve. Um, isn't there a cold extraction when you uh, defreeze them because there is cold water on the on the beans? Yes, that's a very important point. So once when you defreeze the beans, you should never open the bag until it's completely equilibrated with the room temperature. So my my impression is that any difference in extraction or taste for coffee that was frozen and then unfrozen would come from the fact that you opened the bag before it was equilibrated to room temperature and then you had some condensation of, on the beans which changed something for sure on the surface of the, of the bean it, because it came in touch with water. But if you 
really uh, first let the, the bag equilibrate to room temperature, and I'm saying this should be for maybe a 250 gram bag should be at least two hours. This shouldn't have a big shouldn't have an impact on 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 the coffee then. Okay. Did you check also after the freezing where? How the aromatic compounds left from the coffee, or is not left, or is stay uh, we, the same, or we, you just measure just uh, CO2? Uh, we we didn't check the aromatic compounds for this specific thing, but we know that they are stable. We checked in other in other um, experiments, the aromatics stay the same, because they they are released at a much slower rate than CO2. Uh, the impact of freezing will be less on the aromatics. Wait. <laughs> so eager. Okay, a quick, this is the last, uh, question. last question. Okay, a, a quick question about the carbon monoxide. On lighter roasted coffees, um, is there less carbon monoxide because of the paralytic reactions that you were talking about? Uh, on which kind of coffees? On a lighter roasted coffee. Yes, this this could be um, this could be well the case. Yes. Unfortunately, we don't have the data to uh, to show this. I just took the data from the, from the literature, but there is not really data available on this. I'm sure the, the big companies, they, they did the studies, they know what is happening, but unfortunately I can't get the data from them. <laughs> so there's, there's still a few things, we have a minute or two uh, to show. Um, so I was... <laughs> I was already talking about the extraction, how it impacts, and I made a nice video here, which shows extraction with same coffee at four different ages from roasting. So we have a fresh roast, we have a coffee that was 10 days old, two months, and one year. So all will stored in, in, in bags for this amount of time. And uh, this, the extraction was set so that we had the same uh, pressure profile and the grind size was, was adjusted so we, that we had the same uh, brew ratio in the end. As you can see here, or maybe not, uh, that is, yeah, it's not very well seen uh, on, the, on the projector, but the crema amount on the, on the fresh road is way larger that's, that, than on the 10 days and two months and one year is produces nearly no crema. And also the thickness of the, of the flow going out from the spout, it's like really thick for the fresh roast because it has so much air be between the, the, the brew, uh, suspended in the brew, but then one year it's, like, it's just like water flowing out. But I did a bit um, nicer picture here. Yeah, here it's better seen. You know, this is this is the last frame. So immediately after the extraction, you can clearly see the amount of crema in producing fresh roast is by far the largest. Here is already probably acceptable. It's not too much. Two months, it's getting thinner, and one year, it's like nearly no crema. But that's a, that's a good question: is why one year old coffee? still has crema, even though we lost all the CO2 by degassing. So the, the CO2 trapped in the, in the beans, it's not the only source of CO2 during brewing. So um, we can have dissolved CO2 in brewing water if we use um, 
the decarbonizer for softening our water. The decarbonizer produces CO2 as a byproduct of the softening, so it can be dissolved in the water and it's released upon uh, the pressure decrease when the water is flowing out from the, the espresso, uh, so out of the puck. Uh, we can have also formation of CO2 by hydrogen carbonate in water by neutralization with coffee acids. So it's a reaction with um, bicarbonate in water with coffee acids. This produces CO2. So there's a few sources of CO2 that still can make some crema in a very old flat coffee. And if we look how the... the <laughs> Yeah, just a minute, it's, that's, the, that's the last one. So um, just a, a, a word about the, uh, how degassing then impacts our uh, extraction. Uh, I said earlier for previous experiments, I adjusted the grind size so that I got the same um, uh, brew ratios. So I had to adjust the fresh uh, coffee to grind size of 1.45. It was the same for the 60 days old coffee, and the 10 days old coffee was a bit coarser. And I got the same, this is the be beverage mass over time, beverage mass over time, I got the same, uh, same profiles. But if I use the same grind size, I got to a result where fresh coffee was flowing really fast through the espresso. Um, 10 days coffee produced a very nice resistance for a very, very good, uh, very good brew. And then the, the two months old coffee was again flowing much, much faster. So this is, we, we, this sounds a bit weird, but we repeated this thing and it was reproducible. So we still need um, to investigate a bit more why this happened. So. Um, since we don't have time, I'll skip, I'll skip the conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> that was Samuel Schmerke speaking at Roaster Camp in Poland in October 2017. Check out our show notes to find a link to the Coffee Freshness Handbook and a video recording of Samuel's talk. Don't forget that Coffee Roasters Guild Retreat is coming to the city of Stevenson in the state of Washington this August, and CRG Camp is headed to Portugal this October. Registration and more information can be found on the CRG website at crg.coffee. Again, that's crg.coffee. This has been the SCA Podcast, brought to you by the members of the Specialty Coffee Association. I'm Vicente Partida. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week.